Welcome to Real Life Rescues, a podcast that's going to go behind the scenes and take an in-depth look into the operational and personal accounts of EMS first responders from Israel's largest fully volunteer EMS provider, United Atzala. Any volunteers available in Beit Shemesh across from the Noach Ayalat trails? And units available in Tamaria near the Kinara for an 11-year-old boy pulled into the water, possibly drowning. Eight or seven is in the water with the boat. Backup units needed. Hi, I'm Raphael. And I'm Dovi Mizell. And we're talking today about uh, when the ground shook again. And the ground did shake again. Evidently, shook at a magnitude of 7.8 with the epicenter in Turkey. Okay. The hardest hitting earthquake in the past hundred years. Uh, in, in Turkey. Yes. In Turkey. Um, and well, actually in the region. In the region, that's true, in the region. Uh, we actually felt it here in Israel, uh, as the case may be, and, and then we had a number of aftershocks here in Israel as well. Um, and uh, yeah, we, we managed to get a team together within, was it something like 30 hours 30 from the time hours. of the earthquake? They were already on in the air on the ground in Turkey. Uh, people left their jobs, they left their lives, uh, and we had 25 people, both from search and rescue units, uh, medical experts from doctors, paramedics, EMTs, of course, the psychotrauma and crisis response unit uh, members were there as well. Um, 25 people picked up and left, and they are uh, going to help, or went to help, they're already helping, uh, in, in Turkey. Uh, and they're, they're staying in conditions that are, well, they're not conditions, really. They have no food, no water, and nowhere to sleep except for what they can find in the field. Um, and they volunteered to do this for a minimum of 10 days. The mission might, might last longer as we go. Uh, and uh, that they're basically doing everything they can to help those uh, in need, rescue people, provide medical treatment, and of course, emotional and uh, psychological stabilization in the field. Yeah, bringing back a lot of a lot of memories from Nepal uh, in 2016 and Haiti 2010. 2015 was Nepal. 2015. 2015. Okay, so my memory is going bad. I had it's okay. COVID. It, it I had happens. COVID. It screwed with me. It what happens to the dinosaurs. That's why you need like you <laughs> know the young rookies. Dinosaur. There you go. That's young why you need rookies. the young rookies. Refreshing our memories. Good, we have Google <laughs> Photos to remind us. Also, but <laughs> Facebook posts. Where were you six years yeah, ago? Yeah, let's go back to at uh, uh, Sunday night, three thirty a.m. My wife pokes me and says, "Dovi, there was just an earthquake," and I'm like, "Honey, go back to sleep." <laughs> it's like you were snoring. <laughs> yeah, I said it might have been my snoring. Yeah, and she's like, "No, the earth shook," and I'm like, "Okay, okay." Three minutes later, my phone starts ringing off its hook, <laughs> buzzing messages, all the alerts and everything. And are I said, are there okay. still hooks for phones? Do, do people have hooks for phones? No, but the term is there. We're going back to the dinosaur <laughs> component. I get okay. it. Okay. Um, yeah. And, and from that moment on and until now, we are now recording this on Thursday. Right. Um, I maybe got a total of four hours of sleep in total, but it's been, it's, it's been a ride. But I, I think that uh, from a personal perspective uh, is to see the impact that we're making there on the ground, helping, um, and and we think you know what's twenty five people in such a grand disaster is is, is simply it's, it's mind boggling, but it's huge. The impact is huge. All right, and it's it's uh, it goes back to the, a parable uh, of. Um story where there's a father and a son walking I think on, we, on the I, beach. I, I think I told this once on one of our previous episodes. Go yeah, ahead. I think it did as well, but it's, uh, <laughs> I think it's, reference, it's good to reference here too. Yeah, actually, um, actually, we tell this story. I'll just give an intro. We tell this story to our teams in the briefing before mm -hmm. they depart 
just so that they understand what an impact it makes. Take away, yeah. take it away, Rafael. So there's a father and son walking on a beach, and and a whole swarm of of um, starfish. Starfish, thank you. Uh, starfish have gotten stuck on the beach, uh, and as they're walking, the father picks up one starfish and throws it back into the ocean, and then he picks up another starfish, throws it back into the ocean. And the son looks at the father and says, "Look, there's so many starfish sitting on the beach. Is it really making a difference? They're throwing one back." The father looks at the son and says, "To that starfish, it makes the world of difference." So and that's and, that's where we're basically Rafael, going. As you tell this story, I'm I'm goosebumps, goosebumps. I guess that goes back to my PTSD. But but yeah, it, it makes a huge difference. And this is uh, what we convey to the volunteers before they depart because it's going into such a a a disaster. And to see the magnitude and the the vast damages, loss of life. We're talking while we're recording this. The death toll is officially around the 20,000 already and the numbers will probably grow significantly maybe even double and we're talking about tens of thousands of people injured and hundreds of thousands that are homeless right. and it's it's a little it's a little bit humbling to be part of such a such a mission and, and in this episode we'll share a little bit about what's going on on the ground there and how we got organized and just to share about the process of putting together such a such a, a an emergency rescue mission and what it entails and uh, hope that we won't need to make another episode like this in the future however unfortunately i think we will so um so let's start with the organ getting organized all right we'll, we'll take it as getting organized then talk about what's stru- happening stru- on the ground structure our episode Rafael. I, I think we should sometimes <laughs> you know we're pretty good with that i, doing I that like winging it you know um, yeah, so basically getting organized. What, what, what did that look like? How did that uh, come to be? And the first thing we did was obviously we assessed the situation here from Israel when we get the reports of the earthquake that took place. We reached out to... So so we, we reached out to a whole bunch of different agencies, a, a local, I mean, in Israel, the official agencies here, and of course, international agencies, the UN uh, Disaster Center and and and, uh, and other uh, and other international organizations to see, to gather information of what's going on there and their uh, prep process. Over here, we we were in touch immediately early in the morning from, the, from around 6 a.m. already with the IDF, a home front command rescue unit, which uh, we always see go out and deploy to earthquakes and disasters around the world. They're world renowned for their uh, for their activities. Um, some of you listeners uh, may have heard about them or seen them uh, on our mission to a Miami Surfside disaster when the building collapsed there. All right, we'll have to come back to that, circle back to that all the way at the end of the episode. I had a very interesting experience. I, I actually interacted with one of the people we rescued in Surfside last night. Oh wow! Um, and we'll tell that story. Talk in a about second. goosebumps. Um, that was that was a big and goosebump things, and things connect. Actually, the leader of the of the mission uh, to Turkey from the IDF is the same leader that was in Surfside as well. Oh, it's Golan. Golan Vak. Oh, yeah. Wow. So we'll, we'll get to that. An amazing guy. Which uh, post uh, Miami, his wife joined the organization as a volunteer from the psychotrauma uh, yeah. um, a unit in in United Salah. But going back, so uh, talking to them, getting an understanding of what the what their plans are, talking to the Ministry of Foreign Affairs to create to, to create the diplomatic platform for our um, uh, arrival in, uh, in in Turkey, talking to the health ministry, looking at the grand plans of what the government is doing, because Israel is is known for its uh, disaster response and international aid. So we try to uh, coordinate and see what best uh, added value we can bring. Right. Uh, we know that we know how to move fast. We know how to move fast, and we know that we'll be one of the first ones out there. Also, you know, helping them 
create a better picture and understanding once we have boots on ground as well. Of course. And, and the government uh, mission also was there very, very quickly. Uh, yeah. In addition, uh, they sent a, a GO team uh, that got there even before our team, and then they sent the bigger team that arrived at a similar time. Well, when you um, have deep pockets, you can jump on a private jet, you know. That, that's certainly true. <laughs> certainly true. Um, the other the other interesting thing is, of course, uh, you know, I'm jumping ahead a little bit, and we'll come back. But, uh, you know, there's tons you of... Mean we'll in- take it back a notch? We, we, at, yeah. <laughs> we're planning to take it back a notch in our structure. Um as as our teams were uh, were were landing, we see we we obviously knew that other countries were sending aid as well. Uh, Turkey being a major uh, country in the region here, uh, in addition to also being a major country that sends uh, relief to yeah, when these actually, things happen Turkey, all over the world. I'll elaborate on that. Turkey happens to be a very significant partner in the International Red Cross Federation, and they and and partake in most world class disasters and providing aid to them. So, so they're, they're a natural partner uh, to immediately come and help them as well. Correct. And so a lot of countries came in to help. And one of the things that we saw, uh, which was very interesting, was when we landed, um, you know, obviously there's geopolitics aside, uh, when we landed, we landed next to um, the planes from Qatar and from Iran, um, which are not, uh, uh, not terribly friendly with Israel in general. Um, but we... Uh, we we all realize we're going for the same reason and we're going to help. Uh, so everyone was able to put you know politics aside and and go and it was interesting. Actually, do the prepared, same thing. I, I actually prepared, of rescuing people. I, I prepared the the in my prep for the team leader. Our team leader, an amazing amazing medic by the name of Yossi Cohen. He's also a veteran officer in the Home Front Command with experience in disasters. And I was telling him um, from my experience in 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 Haiti and in, in Nepal. Was that prepared to see our the countries from our region, from our neighborhood that we don't usually speak to on a day to day basis? We'll meet them on the ground, and and you'll create amazing, <laughs> to put it mildly. amazing relationships. Well, Qatar actually this year was pretty good. We had a whole bunch of Israelis there with the World Cup of uh, that's true of, of soccer. So that's true. But uh, Iran, on the other hand, <laughs> less so. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like we're all like I said, we're all there for the same reason. We're all going to save people uh, and help those in need. And right now, that is Turkey, and and Turkey is. I guess friendly with all of those different countries, uh, and they managed to, and they managed to keep up good relations with everyone. So um, we're all going to to help now uh, a, a country in need and people in need, and that's really what it's about. It's about helping people, regardless of politics, regardless of anything else. Um, that's what we're there to do, and that's what we're doing. Uh, so from that point on, we basically told we put out a request to volunteers who's available to drop everything in their lives for the next 10 days, who speaks, maybe more. Who speaks Turkish? Who speaks who, Turkish? Who, who, who uh, speaks English? Who has uh, capabilities of, of... Our criteria was basically you're going to the middle of nowhere. There will be nothing there. Forget about showers. Forget about uh, amenities, facilities, or anything. You're going to be in a sleeping bag in sub-zero temperatures. Um, and and the, the mission is very simple. Saving lives, saving lives, uh, and that's and that's what it was, and and as natural as what we have come to expect from United Hatzalah volunteers, we had hundreds, if not thousands, of people who applied. Hundreds <laughs> of people applied, and we had to sift through that and take twenty five. All right, and we took them with the most relevant experience, people who were doctors in different fields, not just a doctor, but we could only take a certain number of doctors. So we took doctors who have expertise in certain areas, uh, you know, internal medicine, uh, pediatrician. Um, traumatologists, traumatologists, 
doctors who've worked in ERs, um, obviously paramedics and, and EMTs who are very experienced in the field, uh, but also had other qualifications, either part of the psychotrauma crisis response unit or part of the search and rescue units or able to run our technology in our drone unit. Um, yeah, which has been we had very to, useful as we well. We have to take into consideration part of the planning process is understanding that in a disaster site on this sort on this scale, communications are very limited. Obviously, there is no water sanitation and facilities, and just the same there's there's communication issues. So we had to uh, um, address that by sending out our satellite phones, uh, satellite communication uh, hubs that will be able to provide uh, uh, data. Uh, for the teams on the ground um, to operate their radio systems, um, et cetera, to, to make sure that they'll be able to communicate with one another and uh, relay to our uh, back uh, HQ over here in Israel. Absolutely. And be able to keep that line of communication open as as things move and change and to assess what their needs were so we could then resupply them with, with more supplies as needed um, and try and find them where we can get those supplies from to them. Uh, and And that's... All part of the planning stage that goes and, and, on and ahead of time. The planning stage as well. I'll add a few more components or file. Maybe this is a, like just to you know make it interesting. Is understand that when you're sending someone out to somewhere where there is nothing, you need to send with them everything. Right. Um, from, as much as we from, can. From you know, um, we told these people you're going to be eating MREs. Each one of them was stacked with it. two MREs per day for ten days. Put it in your backpack. That's your food. That's it. Yeah. There's nothing else. Um, and, and, and obviously going out and, and getting all of this equipment, getting our logistical center open to work through the night and, and, and get trucks going from the companies to bring the supplies. And, and, and then the next question is, how do we get there? Um, <laughs> oh, we need a plane. So did, so we, we, did we need a plane? Actually, we started, we started by <laughs> checking commercial flights. Um, but it, it, we understood that commercial flights be, being this place, uh, by the way, just as an FYI. To add and make it and spice up the challenges, the location of the epicenter of this earthquake is not in the center of the country. It is actually in a very interesting area, just a few miles away from the Syrian border, which adds a security, a personal security challenge to the teams on the ground, having a, a lot of a, a Syrian refugees uh, in that area, that's not a security problem. The problem is the ISIS activists that were jailed in, in that area and escaped the jails during the the, the earthquake. Um, lack of uh, of a of Turkish military or police forces to secure these areas because of the grand disaster. They they, they simply uh, don't have enough resources to secure the area. So so it just really made it very very interesting. And and when uh, reaching out to, to under, uh, when we understood that we need to get them there with our own plane, we start reaching out to. Uh, we reached out to El Al, obviously, the Israeli airline, and uh, we uh, chartered a Boeing seven thirty seven that will be able to take our team and ten tons of of their equipment um, to the scene. Looking for the nearest by airport is the city of Gazantep, which I never in my life imagined I'll have to pronounce. It took me <laughs> about a day just to learn how to pronounce the name. Uh, not to mention Harman Mar Maras. Harman Maras and Khati and all. Uh, listen, I'm working on my Turkish. I'm working on my <laughs> Turkish. I think we all are right Being now. Israeli, at least I can say kh, So that's good. Um, <laughs> so, so yeah. So, uh, we, yeah, we, we, so we needed a plane. And, and after last year's experience, one plane isn't so hard. <laughs> well, evidently, yeah, after Ukraine and the 30 planes we chartered there, 
Within a couple of hours, we secured a, uh, a Boeing 737 from right. El Al. We were pros at it. And, um, <laughs> to land in Gazantep, which is a, a very close to the epicenter with right. a still activating uh, airport. And one of the reasons we didn't go to places like uh, uh, Ankara and Istanbul, uh, where they have you know major airports that are still open, uh, or even uh, you know regular civilians are still able to fly in and out of, is because they're very, very far away. Turkey's a big country. Uh, and it's about a seven hour drive from Ankara and about a 12 hour drive from Istanbul, but that's not the problem. And Gaziantep was about a three hour drive, but the problem is the gasoline. There is no gasoline. There's no gasoline in this region. So if you're going to land somewhere and just to drive and use more gasoline, which they don't have, um, because there was a big run on gasoline. Uh, and now we're getting back to what they found on the ground. Uh, there was a big run on gasoline in the area. So the problem was we weren't going to be able to drive them from Ankara so we had to find a closer airport where we could cut down on the use of gasoline because there's a severe shortage of it there. Um, so we talked a little bit about the planning. Let's move on to what the team found on the ground. They landed. They arrived. The first thing they noticed was obviously the lines at the gas station. Wait, before the gas station. Oh, before the gas station. Right, we talked about first Qatar and Iran. They, they got in the air, but they had no idea what was going to happen when they land. Nothing is waiting for them on the other side. They have 10 tons of equipment. How are they going to move it? So while they're in the air, back at HQ, there's the whole operations center working here, um, finding, allocating contacts on the ground um, through international groups. And by the time they land, we were able to make it all the way up to the governor of the region through different international personal contacts. Uh, we were able to get in touch with the governor of the region, which made his calls. And he actually personally came to the airport and within, I think they landed, and within an hour, they had a truck and a bus waiting for them. All right. That's just amazing. Which was, which was truly amazing. And, 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 and later I on, think, they even I got... think that's called part of the Israeli chutzpah. That's definitely. Because definitely what happened there. was, I, I don't even know if you heard the story, Rafael, is there in this little airport, there are like six or seven international rescue units coming from different countries in, the, in, in, in Europe. And the, the, the Israelis land last, and... Within an hour, they're already leaving the airport on a bus and truck, and they're like, how did they pull that off? I'm, I'm sure that <laughs> encouraged our friendship. No, it, it was, no, it was, yeah, no, let me tell you, the energy on the ground between the teams is tremendous because yeah. everyone from around the world is coming to help. They, they were, they, it, was, it was not from a hostile perspective saying this. They're like, how do you do this? You Israelis, you, you, you always get around. <laughs> yeah. Well, we manage. Like you said, there's, there's chutzpah and, and connections. Two things that come together, which, uh, which provide a very nice, uh, a package and, and allow us to help, help get us to do things that are proper. So they got the, the truck and the bus. Um, and actually later on, we ended up getting another car in addition, uh, for logistics team to be able to go. Uh, and, uh, we're pulling supplies from all over the place. Um, the team gets on the ground. They obviously saw the, the lines at the gas stations. Um, and then they they uh, went into a local hospital to see what they could do to try and help. And the local hospital says, we have people. We have our personnel. The personnel's still here, but there's no supplies. We have literally nothing. Because all the people who were injured in the earthquake uh, did the right thing. They went to the hospital for, for help, for medical attention. And all the supplies that were in the hospital got used up very, very quickly. Even the you know, uh, emergency, uh, I guess, repositories of more medical supplies uh, were used up as well um, because this, uh, you know, th this devastation was so immense and covered such a large area 
Um, you know, dozens of cities were affected, uh, and it caused a, a, a severe shortage of both medical supplies and and gasoline. Yeah. So, um, well, well, by the way, regarding the hospitals, also now, actually, as we're speaking, the Israeli uh, IDF, together with the Israeli Ministry, are actually assembling now the field hospital there, which will be providing services for the region um, in in the coming weeks. Um, yeah. And assist there as part of the what I was mentioning about the Israeli uh, international assistance, um, and 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 let's get down down and dirty. So they got there, and they, they got down and dirty. Oh yeah, that's exactly what they did. Oh yeah, um, so they hooked up uh, to base camp, set up base camp in a certain area which was nine kilometers out of the epicenter of the city in an open field where there isn't risk of uh, of uh, buildings falling on them from. Uh, from aftershocks and, and and additional earthquakes, which, by the way, it wasn't only aftershocks. They actually had four earthquakes there. Correct. And they four were all full, severe magnitudes, 7.8, seven, 7.5. Seven, earthquakes. A couple in the sixes. So there are tremors and there are uh, uh, aftershocks, but, mm-hmm. but they, 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 they suffered a massive attack. They very much did. So setting up base camp, they uh, it was it was sort of a camp that was set up there for different international rescue units coming to assist in an open air field just outside the city. Right, and and just put this in perspective, you're talking about like uh, a, a huge open field, tiny little fences to maybe divide up something if they exist or not. Uh, next to our team is the team from Kurdistan. Next to them is the team from France. A little further on, our friends from Qatar and Iran. Um, and you know, other teams are coming and as they come, they fill up more of this huge open space, each one taking a small area of themselves. to say there is no infrastructure, no electricity, no water, no nothing. So it's all in the battery packs that they brought. It's for us to work on the ground and allocate generators and whatever to supply electricity and recharge the radios and, 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 right. and all the communication systems and everything. Because as much as Turkey wants to, you know, provide this stuff for the rescuers, they have to provide it for their own people first. The rescuers kind of have to do manage. it on their own and exactly. manage on their own because they're here to, they're there to help not take resources from the current existing infrastructure. So going into the first night, getting organized, setting up in in base camp, um, assessing the situation, coordinating. There's actually like a coordination center of the UN um, uh, that that coordinates the operation of all the rescue units coming uh, coming and arriving, um, uh, and 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 then basically is is getting some shut eye. Um, eating some uh, some MREs for dinner and 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 getting some shut eye. And you say getting off. shut eye, you're talking about sleeping in an open field in a sleeping bag on a a, a very tiny foam mattress in sub zero temperatures. Fun. <laughs> That's yes, honestly, totally. Fun. Uh, honestly, when I when I when I set the team off at the airport, we were there together, Rafael. My heart, I wanted to go so bad. <laughs> I wanted to go so bad. There's something about. Uh, going out to these incidents, to these disasters, that uh, you get there and, and you feel you get such fulfillment from that human touch that you get with people. Yeah. And I, I think last night, it was in the briefing last night that I had with the team, at the end of the day, they were describing just a, a small human moment, yeah, as as they're walking down the streets to the different sites there, to the different uh, rubble sites of what used to be six, seven, eight-story buildings, um, the people that are who survived and are on the streets there are pulling at their orange coats, and and you know uh, some of them are asking for help to look on, on on what's left of their buildings where obviously there are no signs of life anymore, and 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 the difficulty of them of them uh, turning these people down, and 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 
nicely trying to explain that there is nothing that we could do over there. And they're moving on to the site that was designated for us to work on because there are signs of life, because there are voices coming out from under the rubble um, and, and, and where we know we might actually be able to save someone. That's the one. And the other is, is the gratitude of the people is seeing the gratitude from the little that they have offering whatever um, a piece of bread that they have to the teams there and whatever. It's just such a powerful, powerful human moment there. And that's why setting them off at the airport, I wanted to go, but unfortunately um, we'll probably have a round two and three and somebody needs that. That's you and me, Rafael. We need to stay here at HQ and and, and make sure that, that the next plane goes out as well. And quarterback it from afar. Oh yeah. Um, that's uh, look. That's an important part of the job too. Without uh, the logistics and and the support, uh, I guess as we come the mission di- doesn't as happen. We become dinosaurs, Rafael. We get to uh, um, look look at the, the the younger people go out there and the next generation of leaders. Who are you, call, to, who are you calling a mission. dinosaur? Who are you calling a dinosaur? It's good you guys can't actually see Rafael or me. They <laughs> <laughs> only hear us. <laughs> um, so I don't know about you. I'm just bald and not a single gray hair on my head. Uh, <laughs> And um, so getting back to the mission, one of the, um, you're talking about human moments. Uh, let's talk about another human moment. Uh, um, there was, like you said, there were voices that were coming from rubble in different places. Uh, our team managed to locate uh, yesterday four people who were uh, confirmed that they were alive based on on tapping uh, through the walls. They were able to hear uh, the team and they, were, they tried to communicate and ask how many people are there. And uh, they got a number. Uh, and the number that came back was four. Um, since then, I believe two of them have been actually rescued. Um, and one of them was, uh, I mean, they're both incredibly dramatic stories, but one of them was in a very difficult location, uh, exposed a little bit to the elements. Of course, it's sub-zero temperatures. Uh, so everyone who's buried in the rubble is experiencing that temperature. There's no heat in the rubble, obviously. Uh, Serious protected- hypothermia. Serious hypothermia. They're, they're only protected by the cement around them. Um, and of course, they're, you know, starving, there's no water. Uh, we're getting to the three-day point almost, at the, even now as we're speaking, uh, and and that's becoming a lot more urgent to try and get to, to the people as fast as we can. Um, but uh, last night when they when they managed to rescue a young woman, um, they actually, they were for a while, they were trying to dig to the side, and then they ended up coming underneath the area uh, that she was trapped uh, and managed to get her out. Um, before, while they were about to do it, they called our, our medical team, which had already gone to sleep for the night. Uh, they called the medical team cause we had a pediatrician on the team, uh, and they brought the pediatrician up together in the EMT. Uh, and as they were getting Dr. her out, Barzell, give him his credit. I was getting there. Okay. Dr. Itai Barzell, um, uh, is a pediatrician here in Hadassah hospital in Jerusalem. And he, um, he was on scene as they were bringing her out and was managing, uh, together with the uh, Israel Search and Rescue units from the IDF, was managing to extricate her in a way that wasn't going to cause her more injury to the injuries she had already suffered, uh, as well as the hypothermia and the hunger and the thirst. Uh, as immediately as she was out, uh, he began medical treatment, um, transported her to the hospital. Well, the excitement before the transport, as, as you can imagine, picture this, you've got dozens and dozens of people i'm talking about the, the citizens there that survived the this this disaster and, re, and 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 dozens of rescue workers and everyone it's it's that moment that they pull her out that is such an uplifting moment for everyone after a long day it's already dark outside and people are already you know 
the fatigue is setting in. It's it, it's cold. They're hungry. I'm being dramatic, but that's the reality. And then they pull out this girl. And and the excitement and the uplifting moment is tremendous. Well, yeah, it's definitely worth focusing on that. Thank you. Uh, and um, so I have that moment, and, and but you know, Dr. Bazell doesn't wait for that moment because there isn't another moment. This girl hasn't eaten or drunk or anything in two and a half days. She needs medical treatment, and she did sustain injuries in the collapse itself. Uh, I immediately began treating her, and then uh, they tried to get her out of there and transport her to hospital as fast as they could. Of course, the hospital is not so close, doesn't have nearly enough medical supplies, and had to go to a full-on trauma center in order to save her life. So they didn't. They had to basically drive for a while to get her to the proper hospital where she could get the, the right amount of care. And the, the entire and the, and the ambulance, mind you, is not what you think is is a ALS ambulance like you know in America. So Doctor Barzell. Um, had to pretty much do the whole thing by himself. He volunteered and joined them and uh, went with them as as well as as the EMT, which is um uh Yossi, as I remember. Yeah, correct. Um, so uh and he uh they basically went, transported while treating, brought her in a stable, they managed to stabilize her condition on the way and brought a stable patient to the hospital uh for further care. Um, hopefully she will continue to make improvements. And, and I'll and tell you one thing, the feeling that the team got when they got back to base camp at night was, was amazing. This, this was the recharge better than food, better than a shower, better than, better than anything else. That one rescue. And that goes back to that shelf, uh, to that starfish story is, is, is what is saving that girl's life for the family, for, 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 for the, for whatever's left of the community there. And, and for the, and and for the team itself is simply tremendous. And for her future and future generations, um, it's 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 a whole world. And as you know, we say it often. Uh, be cliche. Go ahead. Take it cliche. away. Take be it cliche. away. Say you, know, you save one life, you save an entire world. Um, it's a Jewish saying. It's a Muslim saying. It's it's out there, and it's true. Uh, it's I, I think it goes true. back. There was there was an earthquake. I think it was in ninety nine. Was the last massive earthquake in Turkey? I think it was ninety nine. And there was a, uh, the, the Israeli uh, IDF rescue unit was there. And after, I think it was four or five days, they pulled out a little girl from the, from the rubble there. And when we talk about an impact that it makes is here, we're talking 24 years later is, is these, the story keeps coming up and on a, and the media every now and then the story comes up of, of this girl and where she is today. And you really get an understanding of the impact of what you do. Um, in, 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 you know, even years in, in a perspective of, in retrospective of years later. So, so looking at these stories, it really is amazing. It truly is, 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 is inspiring to see these people and the work that they're doing out there. Um, yeah, we're, we're, uh, we're kind of watching it, I guess, firsthand because we're getting all the immediate reports from the team in the field, uh, or that made it secondhand, uh, cause firsthand would be being there, um, ourselves. Um, but it's, uh, it's incredibly inspiring and it's incredibly moving to, to be even a small part of this, of what's going on, uh, and helping manage it. Um, and I hope we've been able to share a little bit of that with you today, uh, for listening. Um, the story's ongoing. Our team's still there. Uh, we'll probably do a, a follow-up to this and, uh, with hopefully with some of the members as they come back, but also, uh, we might be sending out a second team and the third team, like you said, before, uh, as, as we arise. finish this recording where we're moving into our, uh, um, a briefing over here to assess the situation with the data coming in from there. 
and and working on our next team and and plane that will probably be going out there as well. So thank you for listening and stay tuned. Uh, we will uh, hopefully have another one of these podcasts in just uh, a short time. Thanks for listening, guys. 